When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. Anthony Sanfilippo's here on a beautiful Monday morning around the Delaware Valley. I'm Bob Wankel. Phillies coming off of a three out of four series victory over the Colorado Rockies. Anthony, Phillies checked off some boxes yesterday. Finally, their first three-game winning streak of the year. And their first back-to-back series victories of the year. And they did what they were supposed to do against, if we're being honest, a pretty brutal Rockies team. Nonetheless, some positive momentum coming into this week against the Mariners. And before the Phillies take on the Houston Astros in a World Series revenge spot uh, this upcoming weekend. So we'll bring you in right now. Anthony, what are we thinking about this little Phillies mini run here? Kind of stabilized after a tough start. Where are we at? Yeah, I mean, this is exactly, I mean, you know, Bob, I, I hate to always go back to where we were with things we've said in the past, right? I mean, but we, it, it, it's worth kind of revisiting briefly because we looked at this 17 game stretch after the, the, you know, one and five start. And we said how important it was for them to win at least 10 games. If they can win 10 games in these 17 games, then that's where the Phillies need to be as they hit a tougher part of their schedule which they're now about to enter into, although we'll get into that a little bit because some of these teams haven't been playing up to the level that maybe we thought that they would play up to, um, you know, to this point in the season. But Phillies went exactly that over the 17 games. They went 10 and 7. Um, it took a three-game winning streak for the first time this year to get there. Um, so maybe there was a little doubt that they would get to that 10 and 7 point, but they did it, right? They got to 10 and 7 in those 17 games. And if that's how you're going to play, and we said this before, if you play winning 10 out of 17 over the course of the season, you're going to be in a really good spot by the end of the year. So I'm I'm confident in it. Um, there was a few things, and we'll, I'm sure we'll break down uh, what we liked. So you know, over this stretch and over, especially over the most recent games, um, you had some great instant observations after the game yesterday. Um, a couple other things I think that have now sustained for a bit, but when you start to see that. Uh, the pitching kind of come together a little bit as far as starters giving you length, bullpen, people falling into roles and being really good, and the lineup now producing runs and doing it in more than just, hey, we're going to go out there and, and lead the league in hitting in doubles. They have started putting together some home runs in this series against the Rockies. So I think that they're, you're starting to see the the culmination of everything that we kind of thought the Phillies would be off of the off the jump in day one, right? And here they are, um, you know, now through 23 games at 11 and 12, which, by the way, same record they had at this time a season ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm confident. I think it's a I think they're they're finally starting to show who they are. And I think we're going to start to see more of this going forward, especially with Bryce Harper now about, you know, 10 days, 10, 12 days out before he returns. 
I want to make it a point of emphasis to sort of focus on the positive here in this show. But I do think we should touch on some things that if you're a skeptic this morning and you're looking at this and saying, well, all right, like they're 11 and 12. Nice job. Way to sort of right the ship a little bit after the disastrous start. Great job. But you just played the Reds for seven games. It's the Colorado Rockies here this weekend who are a terrible baseball team. I mean, I included it in the story this morning, but that lineup at one point yesterday had four different players hitting under 200 and a fifth hitting 200 on the nose. It's it's just not a very good team. The pitching's not there. It's not a very good offensive team. They're probably going to lose 100 games. That's probably in play. Sure. Uh, that Cincinnati team is already out of it. Uh, Phillies didn't really dust them, didn't bury them the way that you would want them to. And you still see some struggles. So you get off this series win against the White Sox. You come home. You expect to set the tone. We obviously talked about this on Friday. They come out. They get shut out for the third time in seven days. And then even, I would say, Friday night was a little bit of a struggle. Let's say Saturday was a little bit of a struggle. And then yesterday they finally sort of broke out and and pulled away from a pretty bad team. The only thing I'll say, and the only thing that I think that that somebody that would be truly skeptic would say or skeptical would say is this Aaron Nola still doesn't look like Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. I thought yesterday actually pitched very well, but for the second straight start had a little, I called it a brush fire, but like a little blow up inning. And to his credit, he was able to bounce back from that, but we haven't seen vintage Nola and Wheeler yet. You're kind of waiting on that. Yeah, and they both they both had it early in the game, right? I mean, Nola, I thought, pitched really well after the first inning, right, of his yeah. start. I mean, the first inning, you thought, oh, my God, this is going to go bad. And then he, what, gave up a hit in the second inning and then nothing for the remainder of the game and went seven. So you say, okay, well, that's more what you wanted out of Nola, right? Like, you'll, you'll take seven innings, three runs out of Aaron Nola, on, on most nights and Wheeler, same thing. Yeah. He had the beginning where he gave up the four runs or was a four or three, three, three runs, right. three runs. Right. Uh, it was for the last start. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and you sit there and go, Oh my God, what's wrong with Zach Wheeler. But you take that inning out of it and the rest of the start, he's pretty dominant. Right. I mean, so yeah. I think it's still just, Hey, they're getting there. I think they're getting there. They're not, you're right. They're not quite there where there's no real, explanation as to why they came into the season a little bit behind to me other than maybe they were just being very careful and not building them up as much as they usually do coming off of a a short off season but I I think you're seeing progression really from both of them it might be a little bit slower than we want but I definitely think it's there yeah when you look at Nola one of the main criticisms that that pretty much everyone has if you're going to poke holes in his game it's things kind of get away from him things snowball on him and then it turns into an avalanche and so I will give Aaron Nola credit on Friday night for what he did he has the rough first inning and then as you said he bounces back from there and he's pretty clean through the remainder of the game and and we've seen plenty of times where he doesn't have it or he digs himself a hole and he just is never able to really stabilize and get it together I mean it's exactly what we saw in that first start of the season against the Rangers so this is the opposite and so I will give him credit for that even if the stat line isn't pristine the way that you want it to be it's still a quality start no less and then you look at Zach Wheeler yesterday and I actually think if you watch that game the one inning things get away from him and there's a wild pitch and there's a bad hit batter uh, with the bases loaded. It almost looked like he was going to get out of that inning and totally unscathed. Then he hits the batter. There's some soft contact. 
the control got away from him for a little bit, but then he comes back and it's the fifth and the sixth and he's fine. And so he ends up going six innings and five out of the six innings, he's not only keeping the Rockies off the board, he kept them hitless. So, I mean, he was, I would say with the exception of the one inning, pretty dominant. It looked like that vintage Zach Wheeler that we're looking for. And after the game, we're down there talking to him and he termed it frustrating. He said, I don't know why this is happening. I don't really have an explanation for it. You go back to the White Sox start. There was some back stiffness. The back tightened up on him a little bit. He was asked about that yesterday. Was there anything with the back? He said, not at all. Not a physical thing, not an injury thing. So I think that's really encouraging. He did allude to the pitch clock, though. He, he said, you know, it's sort of like a timing thing. I, I don't have an opportunity to take a breath and kind of clear my mind and then, you know, get back on the rubber and go. And, and so he it wasn't an excuse, but he, he acknowledged that again, that that pacing and the rhythm of the pitch clock. So I feel like that they're both trending in the right direction, even if they have not yet arrived. And I will say this, if, if they're going to arrive next weekend would be a hell of a time to do it. Yeah, huh? absolutely. And, and here's what I'll say. I mean, you, you mentioned that the skeptics are going to say, well, look at who they just beat, right? Do you think people are complaining down in Tampa Bay right now about who they've played this year? They're 19 and three. Uh, Here, here's the, just real quick. Here's who they've played. Detroit, they're seven and 13. Washington, they're seven and 14. Oakland, they're four and 18. Cincinnati, they're seven and fifteen. The White Sox are seven and fifteen. Nobody's saying anything. Everybody's all positivity about the Rays. Look what the Rays are doing. It's historic. It's fantastic. It's incredible. So if you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, you're going to be a good team. That's basically yeah. it. So you could be a skeptic all you want, and yes, of course, you do want to see the Phillies start to be at least a five hundred team against good teams, right? They're one and five against good teams so far this year, and ten and seven against not good teams. So you'd want to see them do better against the good teams. Okay, fine. But you ain't complaining about beating good teams. I mean, beating bad teams. You got to you got to beat bad teams to, to be a good one. I, I agree with that. And, I mean, we've made a lot about this, this May schedule. And, granted, we still have six more games to go here in April. And the Phillies have an opportunity to finish the month over 500. It's in play. I mean, Seattle has scuffled a little bit. Seattle is – a team that I think probably ultimately ends up in the postseason. And if they don't, I think they'll be right on the fringe of it. So I think that this is a team that wins somewhere between 85 and 90 games when it's all said and done. But they're off to a little bit of a slow start as well. And they've only played six games on the road, three and three so far. They come into Citizens Bank Park at 10 and 12. So it's not like that they're world beaters. And even the Astros, now I will give them credit. They've sort of gotten it going here a little bit over their last 10 games, seven and three, but they're 12 and 10 as well. It's still early on. You don't know exactly where they're at right now. Are they really going to be firing on all uh, on on all cylinders here? The thing that I would I would say is that we look at the May schedule and we talk about, oh man, it's going to get tough real quick. The Dodgers aren't the Dodgers. Home against the Red Sox, you have, you should have a chance to to win that series. It extends out. Really where May gets hard is at the middle of the month. That's where things kind of ramp up well, a notch. Well, to me, Bob, I was looking at, you know, and I was one of the guys who looked at May and said it was going to be, or, you know, looked at it starting this series with Seattle and then into May and thought it was going to be tough. And here they are. They're combined up before you get to the Braves and the Mets at the end of the month. These The, yeah. the, the teams that they're playing are under combined six games under 500. I mean, you're not yeah. like you mentioned. Seattle off to a slow start. Houston, they're tw just twelve and ten, right? I mean, yeah, they they've gotten better lately, but they got off to a slow start. The Dodgers are only game over. Boston's only game over. Toronto's about where you expected, but then you go Colorado, who's terrible again, and the Giants, who are worse than we thought, right? They're not a very good team. 
the Cubs are about what we thought, and the Diamondbacks are about what we thought, kind of mediocre. So the the, the month, the schedule doesn't look as daunting now as it did maybe before the season began. So I that doesn't necessarily mean I'm sitting here saying, oh, the Phillies are going to blow through this because it's never going to be easy. But at the same time, it's not as it's not as much of a gauntlet, I think, as we thought it was on March 30th. Oh, it's just nice to see that they're not playing any true powers like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he's pretty interesting, yeah. I will say. I will say it's a pretty interesting team right now, 16 and 7. good pitching. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, we're talking about the standings, and some people are probably listening to this going like, come on, guys. It's Again, it's it's April. It's the, the last week of April. We don't need to talk about the standings. But one of the things that we've made a lot of mention about is this idea that you can't bury yourself in this division that early on. And I will say we have sounded some, or I have, at least I have, uh, I've sounded some alarm bells about where the Phillies are at in the division and saying like, come on, the goal here is to, to compete. It's not to, to win 87 games and trip into the final wild card spot. You know, like this, this team is legit. This is a team that should, should win 90 games. It's a team that should be in the division mix. And so to fall behind by seven games almost instantly, was was pretty disappointing in my book. And now I will say, you see what the Astros did to the Braves this past weekend with the sweep. The Phillies happened to align with three wins of their own. And now all of a sudden, they're only three and a half games behind Atlanta. So the division has come back to them a little bit as well. And I know there are a lot of people that will say, listen, I don't even look at the division standings until Memorial Day. And that's great. You're you're a better observer of baseball than I am because I think the division standings very much well, matter well, right now. It was decided in April last year that the Phillies weren't making the going to win a division right, right. they weren't going gonna... to you can point to the you can point to the Mets running up a 10 game lead on the Braves and the Braves cutting that down and my point is just because there are outlier examples of things happening or just because the unlikely thing happened once doesn't mean that it is going to happen again right. and so if you're the Phillies no you do not want to fall down by 7 games at the end of the month or be down by 10 games or trip into the playoffs in the final wild card spot you want to be competitive you want to try to win a division you know so I think what we've seen transpire here over the last number of days, last handful of days, is encouraging for their overall situation. There's this idea of sort of treading water until Bryce Harper gets back. This pitching staff seems to be kind of getting its legs a little bit. You mentioned earlier the, the rotation's going a little deeper. That's had an, a profound impact on the bullpen performance over the last week, and we could talk a little bit about that later. I mentioned that in my story this morning. They are trending in the right direction, but now the question becomes, can you ramp it up to the next level when your competition level rises? And that's the question they're going to have to answer. They've yet to do that. It was very early on when they we saw them play two quality opponents. The Rangers have actually gotten off to a pretty good start here this season, and we all expect the Yankees to be in the mix. So they have stumbled against quality teams. It was almost a month ago now. They'll have another opportunity here this week to kind of see what they can do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, the one thing—the one thing that's going to be interesting about the, the coming series against Seattle—is when you when you look at the Mariners. This is a team that I kind of thought was going to have a really strong lineup, and they haven't really been as strong as you would think coming in. And so like, I was a little worried. I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting to see how they end up pitching against pitching against the Mariners. I don't, I don't know how the Phillies are going to um, go with the rotation with the off day here. I mean, obviously Wheeler is going to not pitch against the Mariners, but does Nola get a start against Seattle? 
the in the on the Thursday game, or do they do they save him for Houston? Right. I mean, I, it's really going to be. An, I, I'm not sure that I, if they've announced that. Did they announce that yesterday? Well, what what we have right now listed on the Phillies website is Falter Gilbert in Game yeah. One. Uh, Walker Gonzalez in game two and Strom uh, Kirby in game, two, in right, game so, three. So yeah, so it looks like they're going to go at the Astros with Nolan. Okay, that's that. That's kind of what I thought that they would do originally when I was seeing how the, the rotation was mapped out. I just didn't know with the off day if they would bump Nola into the game on Thursday. Um, so to me going in, I was like, well, geez, this is going to be interesting because you're going to get the back end of the rotation against what is a good Seattle lineup. And the Seattle lineup hasn't been that good, and vice versa. The back end of the Phillies rotation has been better than the top end of the Phillies rotation. So it's kind of like the reverse now. It's almost like okay, so let's if if things are holding true to what they've been so far, the matchup that matters more to me this week against Seattle is not so much our pitching against their hitting, but quite the other way around, right? Is how does it how does it look from Seattle pitching, which has been decent, you know, so far. Uh, versus the Phillies lineup, which has been wildly inconsistent at times, but a, a little, although more consistent of late. So to me, like that's where the, it really comes down to uh, what I think is going to be the difference in this series. And you know, you hope to take two out of three from from Seattle and go into Houston as a 500 team um, on uh, on Friday. So there are two things that I'm focusing on this morning that kind of give me, I don't want to say more optimism than I previously had. I think that even throughout all of this turbulence, you and I both kind of expect that the Phillies ultimately are going to make the playoffs. My my stance on that has never truly wavered. Uh, certainly there have been red flags. We've used that phrase quite frequently here over the month of April. But there are two things that that I saw this past weekend that I'm starting to say, okay, like I, I, feel, I feel good about this. And the first is what we saw, especially over the final two games of this series, was was a little bit of a power surge. Finally, you know, we see seven home runs over the final two games of the series. Some of them came from fairly unlikely sources. And one of those unlikely sources, sort of ironic that we're saying this, is Nick Castellanos, a guy that was brought in here to provide a little bit of pop in the uh, middle of this Phillies lineup. Finally, hits a home run for the first time on Saturday since August 27th of last year. And if you listen to this show, you know that I've pointed that out. I've talked about this streak, I've talked about how it's bled over over 40 games now. Uh, and then he 48. does it not only once, but twice. He does it twice in the same game. Uh, we see Christian Pache, of all guys, uh, take one deep. And he's actually swung the bat a little bit better after those first couple games. Yesterday, we see Cody Clemens go deep. And I don't know that I would be relying on Cody Clemens or Christian Pache for consistent power. But now, all of a sudden, you look up, and we've made a lot about the Phillies' lack of home run punch. And they are now tied for 14th with the Mets. Uh, 26 home runs this season puts them right in the middle of the league and so we're starting to see the Phillies flex a little bit here Trey Turner hit two this past week uh, you know Kyle Schwarber despite the inconsistency is still running into a few here do you kind of feel like that th this is more I mean, the Phillies probably aren't going to finish the the season as a top five home run team unless unless one of these guys really goes off um but like you kind of think that this might be like a top 10 top 12 team when it's all said and done in terms of homers yeah, I mean, obviously losing Hoskins and then not having Harper for a month, right, probably puts them further down when, than where they probably would have been, right, if, if those guys were healthy for the, for the whole year. Um, and then even, even losing Derek Hall for two months probably knocks some home runs out of the, out of the mix as well. So, so, yeah, I mean, look, if you finish, if you finish in that 10 to 12 range, 
knowing that, knowing you're missing that much power, I think that's a good spot, actually, in all honesty. Yeah, I mean, and if, if they don't have those injuries, uh, Hoskins doesn't go down, Hall is a, a DH against righties, I would say that this is a, a slam dunk top five Easy. team in terms of homers. Easy. I mean, that's how they were going to – that was how the offense was built. That's what they were supposed yeah. to do. Yeah, so like, you know, so – it took a little bit, a little longer for the, the the second tier home run guys to kind of get to where they were. And, you know, we talked about this with Thompson. It was funny because pregame before the Castellanos two home run game and Pache getting the homer, like we were, you know, I was asked, I actually asked Thompson about Castellanos being that it had gone forty eight games without a home run, and you know he was, yeah, it's coming, don't worry, you know, it'll be there. And then like you know, then you know, it was Howard Eskin who asked, he said. He said, other than Schwarber, do you have another guy in this lineup who can hit 30 home runs? And, you know, he said, could somebody get there? Yeah. He says, do, you know, he's like, I, I think what everybody's seeing is that we're not getting as much power as we thought we'd get early in the year. He says, but I, I'm still, you know, going to say it's coming. And he was, he's remained steadfast about that. He believed in Turner and, and Real Muto and Castellanos and, and, um, uh, and uh, somebody else, who else did he say? He said somebody, he said four different guys and said, you know, they're going to come, they're going to come, they're going to come. And then all of a sudden they started showing up. And if you, I don't know if you watched the post game, like the first question I said, I asked the first question after that, I said, how does it feel to be a prognosticator? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and, and it's, he's, he really kind of believes it because he believes that they have good approaches this year. That they're not swinging, they're up. I mean, yes, they're still striking out, but they're not up there flailing at bad pitches, and you know, really not having smarter at bats on the whole. Um, and I think he believes that they're going to just start running into home runs eventually, because when you have that, pitchers have to start putting the ball over the plate more. You're going to be some few more mistakes in that regard, and these guys have the ability to put them out of the ballpark. So I think that that's why he's he's felt that way, and we started to see it against a couple of you know. Bad pitchers. I mean, Jose Urania, I think he's now given up 11 home runs, 10 home runs, and like yeah. 19 innings. I mean, that's unbelievable how many home runs he's given up. So, um, yeah. And, and I think that this is where I kind of look at it and say, I don't want to celebrate all of a sudden the, the lethal Phillies offense after they take advantage of substandard pitching. But we've spent a lot of time on the show talking about this, this lack of punch, this lack of, of home run punch, and the correlation between that and maybe pressing a little bit too much and the lack of run production. It doesn't, it doesn't align with some of their other offensive metrics. And yesterday you finally see them put together a game where they, they homer a few times and they also drove in some runs in different ways. They're still struggling with runners in scoring position. They have left this season going into yesterday's game, the second most runners in scoring position in all of mm -hmm. baseball. The only team that had left more on average coming into yesterday were the New York Mets. And when you look at their opportunities, the Phillies entered yesterday's game with 213 plate appearances with runners in scoring position, which was by a wide margin, like by, I think, 18 or 19 plate appearances, more than the next closest team. And so they had seven more yesterday, and they began, they began the day 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Finally, Bryson Stott provides that exclamation point insurance homer at the end of the game. 
they're still not really hitting with runners in scoring position. They're they're about middle of the road, but when you look at that in relationship to the volume, it just feels like they're missing so many opportunities. Yeah, I agree. It's not that the Phillies are 28th with runners in scoring position, but when you correlate it against that volume and that number of opportunity, it, you're just like, come on, guys, just a little bit more, and this thing could really break loose. And the reason why I mention that is because I, I guess the one thing I'd like to talk about is do you think that which part of this is unsustainable? Is it the part that they continue to miss out on all these opportunities with runners in scoring position? Or is it the ability to have so many different runners in scoring position all the time? Like the the, the high batting average, the ability to put pressure on teams consistently. Like they always knock at the door. Do you think that they can maintain that? I, I do. I mean, I, I you know, I, look, I'm, you know, we're what? About 100 plate appearances in for a lot of these guys, maybe just under that. Um, and, and and I think that, you know, eventually we, you know, we sit there and say, well, it's only the first month. It's a small sample. Well, guess what? When you have 500 plate appearances in a season or 550, whatever it ends up being, you know, um, you're, you're about a fifth of the way through, right? So it's it, at some point, these small samples are no longer small. Um, right. and, and so when you look at it and you see, you know, Bohm is still hitting over 300 and Stott's hitting 340 and Turner 293 and Marsh is having a you know unbelievable start at 364 and Castellanos 307 like look are they all going to hit 300 no but can they all hit 280 yeah sure right and, and so when you look at that and say well they're going to get on base they're going to have opportunities it's the matter of can they get them in and I didn't um, – I don't know if you have it right in front of you, Bob. I didn't check since Friday uh, – or I'm sorry, since Thursday because uh, on thir- after Thursday's game, which was when, you know, they got shut out and was ugly, and I, I wrote that, you know, they led baseball in le- uh, men left on base. They led the entire sport. They have left more had left men, more men on base uh, as of Thursday night than any team in the league. I don't know if they're still there, but they, they still have to somewhat be somewhat near the top if they're not number one. To me, that's the one thing that that sticks in my craw a little bit, right? As I'm watching a game, right. sure, you're always going to leave men on base. It's just an, it's just the nature of the sport, right? But you can't be averaging eight guys per game that you're stranding on base because a number of them are in scoring position. And, you know, even if that even if you get one or two of those home a, a game difference, that's the difference between winning and losing a ball game. If it feels like they haven't been able to deliver the knockout blow, it's because they haven't. And when you dive into the numbers, you see that. And so they came into yesterday's game hitting 249 with runners in scoring position, which was 17th in terms of all of baseball. And that isn't like. Like I said, it's not terrible. It's not bottom five. It's not that they're the worst team of all time doing this. But the thing that actually jumps out is that they were 23rd in OPS at 662. And to just kind of give you some further numbers to kind of dive into that a little bit more, even after Bryson Stott's homer yesterday, which came with a runner in scoring position, they've had 220 plate appearances now as a team with runners in scoring position and three home runs. So they're not getting that big hit and when i mean big hit i don't mean timely i mean that that double into the gap that three run homer like they, they're not getting that hit and i think that that is what's sort of dragging down that overall run production at this point that's the way i see it and you just kind of i do believe that 
that is going to correct itself. Like, I do think that that's coming. So to your point, I don't think that some of these batting averages are real. I don't think that some of these, like, I don't expect Brandon Mars to finish the season with the highest OPS in all of baseball. Like, I just, I don't know. I think Brandon Mars has figured something out. I think he's making a case and, and has a shot to be an all-star this season. Um, but like the highest OPS in all of baseball. No, I don't, I don't see that. So I think that there's going to be some things that work against the Phillies moving forward, but team wide, especially when you get Bryce Harper back, you start to see the potential for what, what I think will finish as a top 10 scoring offense here. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And look, I think that one thing that we've, we've kind of learned about the Phillies is they are, um, they're pretty good in, certain situations even if you go back to last year and then in other situations they make you pull your hair out right and so i i kind of look at you know it's it's kind of hard to say well what's a what's a clutch situation right i mean everybody has a different definition of what that word is right but if you look at if you look at when when the phillies are this is just looking at this season right now when they when they're in a tie game they hit 336 with an OPS of 1.026. So when a game's tied, close, right? I mean, they're they're pretty solid, right? Even their OPS within a run or within two runs is 825, 808, right? They're still pretty good hitting team when they're when the game is close. It's when games get a little bit more of a uh, gap that the Phillies just suddenly seem disinterested. And that's not just them um, when they're behind, although it's worse when they're behind, but it's also when they're ahead, too. They just they just kind of seem to be like, all right, that's enough. Or, you know, we're not – we get too far behind. Yeah, we're not going to – because right now, in, in games this year, when they – There's some human nature to that. They, you know, there is some yeah, human nature when they've to been that. behind in a game this year, 218 – batting average 286 on base 608 ops when behind so i think that that's more more than anything else i think that is that's a mentality it's a mental thing right with them um and that's you said human nature so to me is that behind uh, with any run mark like any, is that any margin any, but if we do within a run either way it, it's actually better right if you're Okay, yeah. so then that would lend to the the disparity, the greater right, disparity, right. the lack yes. of production. Because I would make the argument, yeah, sure. Like if you're down a run in seventh, eighth, ninth inning, you're facing an opponent's best relievers. That's probably going to hurt you yeah. as well. But okay, that makes some yeah, sense. Yeah, so it's behind. It's that's overall behind at any time. But if yeah. you look at it even more specific and look at it within a run, um, either way, it's the, the numbers are better, right? So yeah, so of course, of course, yes. When you're facing, you know, I mean, late and close is probably the one that you want to look at in that in that regard. And and they struggle there too. But I mean, I. Would think a lot of teams do like 228 batting average 689 ops that's because you are facing those you know those big time bullpen arms coming out of the coming out of other teams pen so um but yeah i mean so it's it's just interesting it's like that human nature thing as long as the game is a close game phillies offense is pretty good it's when they're when it's not quite there they fall behind a little bit and then they they start chasing the game and I wonder if, if, if that's a, an approach thing that can be adjusted or if, like you said, it's just something that, hey, human nature kicks in and it's just, you know, chalking it up at that point. So I think the, the other part of this, the other takeaway that I had after this weekend, and it's hard, it's not like this is unique to me. I think anybody that's watched the Phillies since last Sunday has kind of looked at this team and said, well, one thing looks a lot different than it looked 
the first two and a half weeks of the season. And that thing is the bullpen. Yeah. And yes, their starters are getting deeper into games. And certainly there is a correlation between that and the Phillies bullpen performing much better. But I mean, like, here you go. Like, just, just throw out some numbers here. We're doing a lot of numbers today. And I don't, you know, this will be the last time I go to the numbers. I promise. Uh, so they lose 13 nothing to the Reds last Saturday. And it's a mess. And at the end of that game, the Phillies had a National League worst 7.19 bullpen ERA with a 1.90 whip, also worse than the National League. They were also walking 6.55 batters per nine innings, the worst in all of baseball. These are wretched numbers, just terrible numbers for the Phillies bullpen. And then since that game, so counting the finale of the Red Series, 24 innings pitched, 15 hits, three walks, 30 strikeouts, and one earned run. A 0.38 ERA and a 0.75 whip. Talk about not just a turnaround, but a swift and extreme turnaround. It's been unbelievable looking at what guys like Soto, Alvarado, Dominguez was a little bit shaky for a minute on Saturday, but he looks to have turned the corner here. Even Craig Kimbrell after a disastrous start much better and had they not destroyed Andrew Bellotti's right arm for the next two weeks you know I mean, <laughs> his numbers would look even better uh yeah no absolutely I mean I, I think that it's it's a lot of of uh you know them finding roles right uh and and guys have really kind of fit into those roles nicely and once they do um fit into those roles they they I think that you're going to see a lot more consistency. And you said Dominguez is the one who hasn't been uh, completely consistent, but he's the one guy out of, uh, you know, the one outlier still. And I think he's still kind of going to find it. But if you look at it, you know, Connor Brogdon and his role has been really good, you know, as that kind of, you know, fireman in the, in the middle innings, whether it's the fifth or the sixth, if a pitcher gets in trouble, he comes in and seems to get out of it. Um, and then Soto has been really really good uh since his first third i think his first outing was obviously was a disaster his third outing was not good but every every other outing since has been sensational we we talked about i mean we've talked about alvarado ad nauseum already i mean he's off to such a phenomenal start um he's almost untouchable and then uh even craig kimbrell in his last um bunch of appearances has been really good and gotten gotten his stuff back together again so um it's really come down to like you have two lefties in the in the in the late innings and you have two righties in the late innings that you can kind of rely on um and they're doing the job and and that's really all there is to it like it doesn't really matter who else you have out in that pen at this point because if you have those five guys and they're going arms six seven and eight are just arms that that you know you get you get through kind of thing you know and and that's that's pretty good. So if those guys are if those guys are going, the Phillies are going to be in really good shape for a lot of this season. That's why I removed the opponent and I say with the offense, I don't know. I, I I see what they they've gone up against. They've had an opportunity to take advantage of some weaker pitching. The bullpen, though, you can sit here and say like Colorado's lineup isn't very good. The White Sox are scuffling. They've had injuries. What are these results like? But you look at these guys and how they're throwing the baseball and you just look at it and you know the track records and say, I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt because 
they look nasty. They look overpowering. And there's a track record that suggests that this is what they truly are, not what we saw or not even anything close to what we saw for the first two and a half weeks of the season. So if I'm a Phillies fan, I think right now the thing that I'm most excited about is that, hey, I think that Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola probably take it up a level. They sort of become what we expect them to become. We've seen enough flashes from guys in this middle of like between Walker and Strom and Falter that you know you have some depth built into the middle of the rotation. You have this bullpen now really turning a corner. Like I think you can start to sit here and say, especially with Ranger Suarez coming back, adding another valuable arm to the mix. Looks like he's on the right track. You, you kind of go, all right, I feel like they're really starting to figure this out now. And I think that that's where you can start to really – turn yourself into a little bit of an optimist. Um, I have a question for you because you mentioned Gregory Soto and he had obviously the, the first appearance was horrible. And I think his third appearance, as you said, was he struggled as well. One of the things I heard a couple weeks ago was I can't believe that the Phillies traded Matt Veerling and Nick Maton for Gregory Soto. I was going to ask you the what same a, question. What, what a horrible deal. So I guess I would ask you now, <laughs> I would ask you now in light of the fact that Nick Maton, who I like a lot, by the way, and I, I do not want this to be construed as a, uh, like a shot at him on a personal level. Cause he's a, he's a good dude, but he's hitting 192 or I'm sorry, 129 in 62 at-bats. He's a 545 OPS this season. And Matt Veerling's hitting 233 with a 614 OPS. And I know the Phillies are having some depth issues, and I, I guess if I'm being honest, I'd, I would rather not see Cody Clemens out there every day and, and all that. And I mean, that being said, you do that deal knowing what you know right now? Come on, Nick Maton leads the Tigers in home runs. <laughs> three. Three. He's got three home runs. Three. Leads the Tigers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, no, it's it, it's a no-brainer. Like, as a matter of fact, I think by the end of the season, I was actually talking about this with uh, Tim Kelly from Phillies Nation the other day. Uh, by the end of the season, we're going to look back and say, wow, what a trade that was for the Phillies. Like, how huge of a trade that was for the Phillies. Because Soto, Soto you see the stuff. He's electric. His stuff is electric. And when he's in the zone, which he's been a lot lately, and that's why he's been so successful in his in his outings. He's he's it's it's so hard to hit him, and, and you almost like you see Soto coming in. It's like all right, we're gonna get through this inning in three four batters, no problem. Right. <laughs> he's not gonna give up a run. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, you just have that confidence, yeah. right? I mean, and, and so we got him, and you got the confidence in Alvarado, and 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 the right handers are now starting to give you a little bit more confidence too. It's like. Man, it's it's like a it's you know get, just starters get us six innings we're cool, <laughs> we're we're good if you get us through six we're shortening this game, like it it really is I think that the end of the year we're gonna look back and say what a what a great trade that they made to get to get Gregory Soto. One thing I will note is that I felt the difference. One of the differences of last season's team was that they had depth pieces that when the main guys weren't the ones delivering, they got timely hits and, and big performances in important moments from guys like Nick Maton, from guys like Matt Veerling. But I think when you have an opportunity to add a difference-making arm to the mix in the back of the bullpen, and your goal here is very clearly to try to win a championship, I think that it's a move that you you have to make. Um and so I don't think that there's any anybody sitting here saying like, oh, you know, the Phillies, they, they obviously wanted to trade Maton and Veerling. They're not useful players. But I think this is a chance to really take the ceiling and raise it up a little bit. And I think that that's what they've they've more or less done here. They have. There's no doubt about it. And 
like I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by by these guys at the back of the bullpen. I'm even impressed by Alvarado. I mean, we knew at Alvarado, we saw what it was last year and what a great story it was. But I'm even imp- even impressed by just how much better he is now than he was last year. Yeah. And, and he was good last year, really good last year. And I'm watching him come in, and it's like no one's no one's close to what he's putting out. Like he gave up that one home run, and really, other than that. He's not been – it's like even the singles he gives up are, are like little bloops, bloop hits, and you're like, oh, well, they got – they just were lucky to get wood on the ball, right? I mean, he is so dominant, and you're seeing you're seeing it with Soto too. I mean, he's really kind of turned it around after those first, you know, few outings that were a little shaky, and, man, it's it's fun to watch when, they, when these guys come in. They, they, let, they really let me ask excited. you this. I have another question for you. So we know that the way this outfield is played out, and, and it's sort of established, and I know that Jake Cave is part of it, and he's really struggled. and So it's not exactly an even-up situation here, but right now, I'm serious too. Would you rather have Matt Veerling getting at bats, playing some center field, playing some outfield for this team uh, when lefties start, or would you rather have Christian Pache out there? Did they did they replace did they do an even up or even improve themselves by replacing Veerling with Pache? And then you're essentially saying this came down to Soto for Maton. Um they've definitely improved themselves defensively. I mean Pache is a significantly better defensive outfielder than Matt Veerling. Um and that's not a knock on Veerling. I just think he's an average uh defensive yeah. outfielder. Pache's pretty darn good defensive outfielder. But if Pache really has figured out how to hit a little bit and just a little bit i'm not saying he's a 300 hitter which is what he's hitting right now but if he's even figured out how to be by the end of the year a 240 hitter right and 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 play that kind of defense as your fifth outfielder then you upgraded and you basically got soto for for um mayton yeah you're right and that's that's kind of what it is now, I'm not going to do this like all hail Dombrowski thing. It's not that they knew that Christian Pache was going to be available. Right. I mean, I'm sure that they might have had some sense, but I, you don't do the deal saying, well, we can simply just replace this player. No big deal. I think, though, that when you look at it that way, again, it's early. And just as we felt, some people felt very strongly the other way, like what a horrible trade three weeks ago. And now we're sitting on the other side of it here. Uh, it could change, but I think that the Phillies might have, they might have won that. Game. Yeah, and, and not only that, and you're right, they don't know about Pache becoming available, but if you look at what they, a couple of things that they did in the offseason, obviously they bring in Cave. They think, okay, Jake can can give us some some good at-bats. And yeah, his numbers don't pan out right now, but I mean, he's also run into a little bit of bad luck too. With He is hitting the ball hard uh, at times, so there's, there's a little bit of that. But they did go out and get a guy, and here's the name that you know we talked about in March very briefly. Um, he's not on their 40-man roster, but he continues to just rake at the AAA level and makes you wonder that if at some point, if he keeps doing this, if they don't add him to the 40-man, and as a guy who who had some prospecty thoughts when he was in Milwaukee before, Weston Wilson, right? Guy just keeps hitting at AAA like he was hitting in spring training. And you, and you wonder, you know, there's a guy who can do a lot of the same things. He can play corner outfields he can play you know all over the infield is that a guy that you look at and say he's on this depth chart now and not just you know 
He's not just a filler at at uh, AAA, you know, veteran guy in the for the Iron Pigs. I, I I think that there's something there, and and maybe that was the plan coming in that we got a left-handed outfielder to right-handed outfielder who we think can kind of replace those guys at some point or at some level, and then Pache just became the bonus as the as the season right. came came about. I have a question. So Bryce Harper, uh, there's been some speculation about the timetable of his return. Some people have suggested it could be as early as May 5th. I was one of them. Boston Red Sox. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It doesn't, whether it's the 5th, the 15th, the 25th, I think it's probably going to fall in that, that range. Uh, when he comes back, what is the corresponding roster move? Again, things can change very quickly. It, One injury changes the whole picture. But right now, what do they do? If it's, if it's based, if you say nothing, nobody gets hurt, nothing happens, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Which we all know is always the yeah. case. That's always how. Ha- yeah, happens. Cody Clemens goes back down, in my mind. Okay. Um, okay. I, I don't think it's because Harper's not going to play the outfield. He's going to end up playing right. DH and first base. They are working his him hard at first base. When do you expect the, the first base possibility part of the equation to become a viable option is I that it, is that mid-june uh, is that i don't know if it's that uh, maybe I, I, my initial thought was he's coming back when he comes back he's dh only and first base potentially right after the all-star break was kind of what i was thinking but i do think it's possible i mean you know the way he's they're working him hard i don't know if he was if he took fielding when you were there on uh yesterday but when I was there Saturday, he was taking you know a lot of time at first base. I mean, we're talking a yeah. good half hour's worth of work at first base. Um, and uh, you know, Dickerson's working with him, and and Thompson's out there working with him, right? And they were they're just doing a lot of things with you know fielding and flipping it to the pitcher, or taking everything on your backhand, or taking you know like you're holding a runner and and moving you know moving into position to field a potential ground ball like they're doing all of the situation work with all the situation work with them it's going to happen it's going to be a thing he is going to be the regular first baseman at some point later this year that's just going to be a part of it um and i think it's because they feel comfortable with the guys that they have right now in the outfield and so i think that i think if you look at roster spot 26 is cody clemens roster spot 25 is probably junior Marte at this point uh, out of the bullpen and Jake cave is roster spot 24. And, and- so that's my question. So here's my question. You're right. Bryce Harper is going to play first base. He won't, or he won't play outfield right. for this team. I, I don't know. Is there any scenario they get to the trade deadline and first baseman becomes available and they say, this is our best option. This is our best way to improve. Let's go do this. Or do you think now that they've gotten the wheels turning on Bryce Harper at first base, that the thought is almost like, Hey, you know, we're not going to do that. We're we're we have to almost plan as if he is now going to be the first baseman. If we make a postseason run, it's Bryce Harper at first. Let's try to plan around that. Or do you still target first base and say, hey, you know what? We Bryce could feel something in his elbow at any point. And he could be back to swing only. Like let's not box ourselves in. How do you handle that's a great that? question, Bob? And I and I think it's I think Harper as a first baseman gives them more flexibility, right? Because then the DHs is available for many many players and by doing that it allows you to just go get a bat and not necessarily be beholden to a specific position for the bat that you're going to trade for at the deadline so i think that gives creates that flexibility but i do understand saying well what if you know this is this either he's not good at it and you can't make it work or 
what if he's starting to feel soreness in there and when he plays first base, but he's still just okay to hit and we got to make him the permanent DH again. Yeah. Then I think first base becomes a target. At the, and I guess, target the, at the I guess Derek Hall is still right. part of this equation as well, because by the time you get to those decisions, Hall likely comes back. So you do have an insurance policy there as well. My other question though would be in the short term and the more immediate and what we can actually probably dig into and focus on now is that you do have Cody Clemens playing some first base for you. So if Harper comes up, can't yet play first, you're removing Clemens. Are you basically committing now to Alec Bohm at first base every single day until Harper's ready to go? Is, is that really kind of the way that they play this? And then how great do you feel about then after a, mo- a month and a half to two months of Alec Bohm consistently at first base, not getting any reps over at third, then slotting back over and having to play third base yeah. again? Like that, that is, it's a, they have to be creative yeah. here and they have to kind of patch it together, but not an ideal, that's not an ideal situation. No, it's not. It's not. You're, you're hundred percent right on that. It's not ideal. Um, the only reason why I ask that is because then I say, okay, well, if Cody Clemens still serves some value in that he can play first base for you and you don't really have another option besides Alec Bohm, and I guess there's other guys you can stick over there. I get it. But if there's really not a clean option to put there, do you still have Clemens stick around and then say Cave is the guy that maybe just doesn't make the most well, sense? Well, look, here? I mean, Clemens can play left field, right? So can Josh Harrison. And and uh, obviously we know that they played Sosa in the outfield a little bit in, in spring training, right? So we know that they have guys who can kind of be that other outfielder. But it, I really don't think that you put yourself in a situation where you can DH Schwarber or Castellanos as much as they're doing right now and right. have somebody who you can feel comfortable with regularly playing the outfield. Look, if Pache starts finding ways to hit righties too well then that yes then that solves that problem but right now Pache is your outfielder against lefties and Cave is your outfielder against righties just because and it allows you to you know have better defense while keeping either Schwarber or Cassiano's bat in the lineup so I think that that's equally as important um as it is I'm interested in nothing I'm interested enough in Cave to see it for a few more weeks. Yeah. Like there has been some hard contact. We talked last week in our show Friday about there's some some overexposure there. Yeah. You know, I think we're just seeing a little bit too much of that player. And if you don't see him so much and you regulate that usage, you might see an uptick in production. Yeah. And I, I want to see him in the role that he was designed to be in before I say, I want to move on. But to this point, it has been fairly unimpressive. I mean, the numbers have been unimpressive. Uh, he has run into some bad luck. I'm interested enough to see it for a few more weeks. But if if we're talking about a Harper return on, you know, let's just say May 20th instead of May 5th, and we see another three, four weeks of Jake Cave just not really producing, then I think my opinion on this might change. So on, th- on Thursday, um, we had, uh, you know, where we sit in the press box, um, we had uh, Larry Boa came and wandered over and was sitting there talking to Howard for a little bit. And, um, and just the conversation w- 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 between three of us, actually, at that point was talking about players who and we weren't spe- specifically talking about Jake Cave, but I think that this kind of equates to him a little bit. We're talking about, you know, players who come off the bench, players who, you know, forced into playing more. 
and and Boa says he says you know there are guys in baseball who can play every day, and he says and then there are guys in baseball who can play two days a week. He said you can't play those guys who can play two days a week every day. He says because then then they are not they are not as valuable. He says that you 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 open up to all of their weaknesses as major leaguers, and then they're not. They, you hurt them even when they go back into the utility role because you've played them too much. So right. we could be seeing that with Jake Cave, right, when when he's in the lineup too often. Um, and I wonder if that's something that, you you know, where you might not be wrong. Uh, look, Cody Clemens doesn't do much for me at all. <laughs> it really doesn't. And um, I, I think Jake, in all honesty, I think Jake Cave is a better hitter than Cody Clemens. I agree. <laughs> and I think he's a you know he's he's a pretty he's a pretty good corner outfielder. He's got a strong arm. Almost if Real Muto t- takes that play in the plate last week. What did I text you on Friday <laughs> night? I said go into the dugout. Real good. Yeah, why don't you take the throw in the dugout next time, you know? So. I mean that was a hell of a throw by Cave, right? So I mean like so there's a lot more to like about Cave as a professional athlete than there is Cody Clemens, but you're right, it might not be the right fit for this team. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see how it uh, we'll see how it plays out. I, I think that if nothing else, they've they've got an interesting problem on their hands. Like figuring out what to do when Bryce Harper comes back earlier than expected is a problem that I think the Phillies will gladly you know, dive into. Agree. So. Agree. Uh, I don't know if you have anything uh, else uh, Phillies related, or if you have anything. Uh, yeah, I guess you have a one last thing. So I if do. you want to dive right into I that, do, Bob, we might actually keep it in an hour. Yeah, today. and this is this is going to be you know cranky old Anthony here for a second. But I want to I want to throw by you, and this is probably something that was I think it was in existence last year, and I never really noticed it until this week. So I didn't re- realize until this week. Uh, last this last Monday was the um, uh, Patriots Day game in Boston. They played the Angels. Um, they start that game at 11 a.m. and then they have the Boston Marathon afterwards. And they had some rain, and so it was a game when Shohei Otani was the starting pitcher for the Angels. Um, and he started the game. Obviously, there was a rain delay, so he had to come out after I think it was like an inning and two thirds or something along those lines. And then all of a sudden, the game comes back, and he's still in the lineup. And another pitcher is now on the on the on the mound, but he's still in the lineup as a DH, which got me to question because I never really thought about it. And I said, well, wait a second. The DH is an op is technically optional, right? It's technically an, it's, it exists, but it's really an option. You can choose to bat the pitcher if you want, right? But the DH is the option. So what the angels do when Otani pitches is they choose not to use the DH and bat him as the pitcher because he's pitching in the game. So when he comes out of the game, he then is there are now the Angels are allowed to then insert the DH into the lineup. Well, that's a that's an advantage they have that no other team has in baseball. And it's a rule that was changed specifically for Shohei Otani. And it makes me wonder. It's called the Otani rule. Yeah, it makes me wonder wonder, why is this okay? Why is baseball okay with this? Because it's no other team can do this. And the argument is back, well, we'll go out and get a Shohei Otani, then you could do it too. Right. But how many yeah. Shohei Otanis exist? Like the, the, you you to me, you can't have a rule that gives one team an inherent advantage over every other team. 
so I, I I ask you about this in in conjunction with I don't want to say oh well why is Anthony bringing this up now it's been in existence for over a year there's an they're testing a new rule in maybe in minor league baseball I guess they're using the Atlantic League again and the new rule is if the starting pitcher can't go five innings then when the starting pitcher comes out so does the DH that's something they're going to test and see and might be coming to Major League Baseball as soon as a year or two from now. If that, so I imagine you're an advocate of well, that. I don't mind that so much. I really don't. I think that that's kind of an idea of if you're going to have somebody who can bat for the pitcher, well, then guess what? Your pitcher has to pitch. You gotta, you, you can't right. have it be that we're like, well, we could just we could just go one guy and then another guy and then another guy and then another guy. Like we don't have to worry about it because it doesn't affect the lineup. But if the pitcher's right. not going to pitch well, well, guess what? Then the hitter has to come out too. I, I'm not opposed to that. You know, it's kind of a newfangled idea. But the question that I would have then is, are you then going to create a special rule again for Shohei Otani where, oh, well, every pitcher, you know, every DH has to come out except this guy. <laughs> Let me, I get this. I understand. And it does create an inherent disadvantage to all the other teams. I would just ask this, and, and this is the only way that I think that baseball would think about it is if. You are a baseball fan and you're not a beat writer right. and you are in Minnesota or Miami or wherever the hell you are and the Angels come to town and you get to watch Shohei Otani and that happens and you're there to see him. Now you aren't there to see him because he's out of the game uh, because of something that, that was pretty much out of the, the, the hands of the, the realm of the game. Now here I am like, I don't get to see the generational talent. I don't get to say, hey, I watched him hit that home run in the sixth inning one time when I took my son to the – you miss all of that. So I think what baseball might be doing here is basically just saying, like, hey, listen, this guy is the show. We need to, we need to make sure that he's on the field, and we're going to create all the flexibility needed to ensure that fans get to see this guy play. I mean, that's really what I think that – that is that is what is happening. Well, of course here. it's what's happening, but that, that doesn't necessarily make it – doesn't make it, doesn't right. Make it right. Exactly. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make well, it. Then let me give you this. Let me give you this. How about the angels are terrible and they need every advantage they can get. So who gives a shit? <laughs> I'm good with that too. Right? No, but uh, although when he's, when he's pitching for the Yankees next year or this summer or whatever, I'll probably feel a about bit that. Right. About let's, that. let's say he ends up on a team that becomes relevant and then this becomes a thing. Now you're really making a good team even better by giving them that advantage. I mean, so the, the only, the only thing I could, the only thing I would say is, is that I think that the player need, that the player needs to have a little bit of something to it. In other words, hey, be able to go out and play left field for a few innings. Be able to play first base for a few. Learn another position when you're not pitching. You know, like like to me, then that that's okay. Okay, fine. You know, you found a way to keep him in the game. Right, just like anybody else would have to do. You found a way to keep him in the game. Never going to happen with him. It'll never happen it's with a, him. It's, well, then I have yeah. a problem with baseball's rules. That's yeah. all. So that's. Oh, well, I'm not surprised that's by me. that. That's me. Now tell me how you feel about the designated pinch runner. Uh, come on, man. <laughs> These things are ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. Although you know what I was, you know what I've I've come to the term. I'm going to look at it a little bit more, Bob. And I don't want to make this an, a second one last thing, but I have no, I have <laughs> noticed that. Why are we seeing so much more uh, inconsistency this year with home plate umpires than maybe we've ever seen? And I'm thinking about it. I'm saying it's because they have so much they have to pay so much more they have to pay attention to now that they're not as focused on just calling balls and strikes. 
I think there's absolutely something to that. I do. I think anytime that you give any person in any job more responsibility within the same uh, amount of time, it's going to dilute your attention on the tasks that you previously had, the only tasks that you yeah. previously had. You give more to juggle, more to deal with. There's obviously an emphasis on that part of it too. It's not like, a, oh, by the yeah. way, make sure that you just keep control of the clock. It's really important. Everyone's looking at it. Now that you have to clear that hurdle, reset yourself, and then focus in on the pitch. I am at the, at like the high school level, at the youth level, I, I give some grace to umpires, like within reason, you know, it's got to be right. reasonable. But when you get to the major league level, I'd say, oh, well, figure it out. You know, it's your job. You got to do it. Like, and, and I feel that way. And, you know, we've seen CB Buckner this year and I, I've gone after him on Twitter as has everybody. And I think it's warranted. But yeah. I do think there is a definite correlation between increased responsibility and then the lack of attention to some of the details in terms of actually calling balls and strikes. And I think that's definitely contributed to a higher miss rate for a lot of these guys. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing it all over the place. I mean, even guys who've not, never been notably bad, like Tishner was, was, was some of the calls in that game was like, Oh my God. I missed a strike through with Alvarado yesterday. It was out of the yeah. zone and he got the call. And, and again, like, these guys are good. These hitters are good. They know yeah. almost every time, you know, eight out of 10 times a hitter turns around and, and says, yo, well, come on. Yeah. They're right. Yeah. You know, like I think umpires have actually probably gotten to the point where they go, oh man, this guy's turning around and he has something to say. Like there's a better chance than not that he has a valid complaint yeah. here. Uh, and you just feel like you're seeing that more than ever. Yeah, you really show, are. Sure. You really are. So that's, that's certainly been yet another negative of the rule changes. I just like to point them out whenever they come up. <laughs> old man yells at cloud uh no i'm with you i hear you i i'm not i i am not discounting that. yeah all right well we have uh three philly's getting an off day on monday here i uh, haven't been many of those lately and then they resume play against the mariners at home for three games this week at citizens bank park before hitting the road for the world series rematch with the Houston Astros, Phillies do have an opportunity this week to close in on the 500 mark and even possibly go over it for the first time this season. Just three and a half games out of first place behind the Atlanta Braves after a brutal start. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow the show at Up Phillies. You can follow Anthony at Ansan Philly. And you can follow myself at Bob Wankel CB. Make sure you check us out on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you get your shows. And check us out on YouTube as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you later this week.